Welcome to the Gumpreneurs Podcast, episode 70. Here with you tonight, Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell, following Alabama's 63-7 mauling of the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. Um, also on the Plains, Auburn embarrassed on their home turf. Uh, another disaster in the pasture-type game, 41-12. to The Penn State Nittany Lions come in and do whatever they wanted to do. Sean Clifford, another big game against Auburn passing. Um, Nick Singleton could not be stopped. Um, some serious problems on, on the Plains, and uh, we'll discuss that in this episode. But starting with the Tide, you know, it's the majority of Alabama fans listen to us, so we're going to start there always. Um, there's not too many places where your favorite team can win 63 to 7 and you've got some guys that are like eh, it was okay I mean it's fair <laughs> and uh you know Saban always tells you to respect the opponent we don't um which is which is fine to me um I'm not, not saying that you want to pull a Texas A&M and lose to these guys or anything like that but Nick Saban can respect the, the opponent all he wants to Gumpreneur's podcast is not. And uh, so we're not going to put, I said this last week, I'm not going to put too much stock into what happens last week and this upcoming week against Vanderbilt, particularly on the offensive side of the football. Um, you know, un until you, you spread it out and I can actually see what's going on and see that there is a change being made in the offensive play calling, then I'm not really going to, put too much stock into it and I will uh, I will load up on Arkansas next week it doesn't matter if their pass defense is bad or not if you can't throw the ball downfield then it doesn't matter if your pass defense is bad um but looking at this game Lester we'll start with you um let's start with the offensive line shuffles and I want to get both of your guys opinion on this Tyler Booker true freshman hasn't played a snap I think he came in against Texas when uh, Emil Ikior's helmet came off for one play. Other than that, zilch. And week three, Nick Saban's all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's just slide this guy on in here like it's nothing. You know, he didn't show anything all fall, I guess. But, Lester, what do you make of the switch, I guess, or the, the shuffling of the offensive line? You know, Booker worked some at right guard. He worked some at left guard. So kind of both guard positions – trying to figure out maybe somewhere he can slide in in a weak spot. I don't think Javion Cohen's going to give up that spot again. Uh, Kendall Randolph sliding back out to tight end. So, Lester, what do you make of that? Um, what was the point of fall camp or I don't know. summer? Good question. Or, or spring? Like, what was like, why are these problems or these issues still going on? You know, and if you guys remember from the past couple of podcasts, I said the offensive line was one, one of the better units because of the the age and the experience of the guys that are going to be playing. But that is just not the case. And I guess if you suck, that never will be the case. You know what I mean? Um, it is good that Booker is coming along and developing, which is important, developing, to be a guy that Saban ultimately, you know, calls him out, trust to come in and potentially take that spot. But man, the offense line just has not jailed 
how I assumed that they would. And now you're adding in another guy, a new guy that has to gel with this group. So I think it'll still be a couple of weeks before we see really, really, really good and solid offensive line play from this team. J-Law, what do you make of his performance? I think Booker played well, but was this a situation where Wolford just wanted to get Emil's attention? Or is there some legitimacy here? And possibly Booker could be taking over at the right guard spot. You've already replaced your left guard because Randolph is there. His his job is obviously taken um, by Cohen with Randolph changing numbers and sliding back to his old stupid-ass double tight end role. But is there some legitimacy here to this, or do you think this is just trying to give a wake-up call to 55? Yeah, I would not be surprised if um, Tyler Booker played another significant amount of snaps this week. I mean, saving to go into his post-game presser and say he likes Tyler Booker because he's mean and he's physical, what a shot to a fifth-year senior in Ecuador. Like, you're not mean. You're not physical. You start as your third year as a starter, and this freshman has come in. Number one, knows the playbook, so he can compete from a knowledge standpoint, at least so far. But number two, he can come in and, and give you what you want and a guard. Like So, I don't know, man. I was I was really surprised at the snap count. But saving to say that you got three guys competing for two jobs, and that's clearly not Randolph because he was back in 85 last weekend. So, um, you know, Cohen got beat a few times. Uh, Ekewer got beat a few times. Tyler Booker kind of came in. I think his first drive was the uh, first three and out or what the first punt. So, I mean, it didn't like the offensive line excelled the whole time he was in, but uh, I, I think that you might be, you might see a 50, 50 split in meaningful time Saturday at home against Vanderbilt to see who that starting right guard is going to be. Because listen, it, Cohen Cohen's to me better than Ekior when he's played this year, Cohen came in and saved the game versus Texas because if Randall finishes that game, we lose. So I think it's, I think it's Booker versus Ekior. And if, Saban likes the physicality. I think he, I think he and Coach Wolford will go that way because this is a five-star guard. I mean, this is a five-star tackle moving to guard. So this is a five-star athlete in Tyler Booker. And if he's his advertised, he might be the one that that didn't miss over the last few years. Yeah, Jalen Ikior is a redshirt senior, correct? So fifth-year guy been in the program, chose not to leave early. Saban always has a soft spot for these guys. So my question is, why does he the, why is he the one that's getting replaced? But meanwhile, it takes Cohen a game and a half to get Kendall Randolph's job back. Because d- does, does Randolph have some naked pictures of Saban or something? There's got to be some blackmail going on. Because this is one thing that I really – I'm going to harp on it from here on out. Guys, I go back every Sunday, and I noticed this when I was at the Texas game live. I was like, we're running way too much, too many bunt sets and tight sets. All I ask for is spread out number to number. That's it. That's about 35 of the 53 yards in the, in, in the, in the field with ways, you know, Sideways, sideways, sideline, sideline, 53 yards. I just ask that you you run formations that use 35 out of 53 yards. I don't see the point in lining up in a formation that covers 15 to 20 yards. Bill O'Brien loves it. 
Do you watch Monday Night Football last night? The Bills. I mean, they, they, that's what they do. They love that. You know, the whole NFL, they love bunching everybody up in there, trying to get three yards in a cloud of dust. So I'm going to go back every Sunday, and I'm going to watch the formations. I'm going to count how many times we were in a formation where we spread out numbers to numbers. And my count was this is I, I did just whenever Bryce plays, once he came out of the game, the game was in hand. You know, Saban's not going to run the score up on anybody, so he's going to run the ball anyway. But Bryce was in 35 plays. Is that right, J-Lo? Um, 35 snaps. 35 snaps. We ran double tight end, 13 out of 35 snaps. That's 37%. We went spread, numbers to numbers, 10 out of the 35. And five of those were in the two-minute drill. So really, if you want to take those out, it was five out of 30 snaps for Bryce and just regular time were, uh, were, were spread formations where you're getting as much grass you can in between the guys. So does, does Kendall Randolph, does he have something on Saban's daughter? Does he have a naked picture of him? Does he have a naked picture of Miss Terry? Something has to be going on here because you can't look at me with a straight face and tell me that Kendall Randolph the, deserves to be on this football team. I don't care that you've been here six years. You know what that tells me? You suck. Because you come to Alabama to play three years, and if you don't go pro after your third year, most of the time it's because you're pissed off because you lost in a national championship game, and you want to come back and get some redemption. Look at the 2020 team. You know, Leatherwood could have gone early, Najee, Devonta, Guys like that chose to come back because they wanted to win a natty. So usually that's the case. If you're here six years, it's because you're not a good football player. Yet Ikior's has a quick has a quick hook on him. Um, yet Randolph changes back to 85, and he immediately like the first three plays of the game we go double tight. 13 out of 35 plays, J Law. I mean, I just – can you help me understand? Is there something you see that I don't? Because no. I don't understand why you keep going double tight. I don't care if it's Lamo and you know you can pound. It doesn't matter. He does this every game. He did it against Texas. 37% of the time, you're in double tight because of Kendall Randolph. Why? Yeah, and I will let Lester weigh in on this too. It would be different if you had Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, like two guys that are electric. He could do whatever they want to do to a defense. But do Kendall Randolph bring – he doesn't bring you anything. He can't block. He can't – he's not going to go out for a pass. And if he does, you're not going to throw him the football unless it's a Brandon Green LSU 2014 type scenario. So, you like you looking at all that, you just ask yourself why he's out there. And we know, we know, hey, Amari Nyblack played three plays the other day. They're pretty scored good. A scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ratio is there. <laughs> Cameron Law, too. Uh, we, we ran a tight end down the seam for the first time since the Tennessee game last year. I mean, that – and Billingsley dropped it. I mean, like, to me, that's what we want to see more of. I trust Cam Law, too. The guy is the, the single-season tight end touchdown record holder at Alabama – but you got to get Randolph out. The guy doesn't bring anything to you. And Saban comes out in his presser this week, Lester, and he says, we need, to, we need to spread the defense out more. Are you serious? 
we've been talking about this since we we mentioned it against Florida last year, and we come out of the A and M game, which we still scored a lot of points in that game, thirty one, I think, and then we uh, pump block touchdown. But we come out of that one saying, dude, we got to spread the defense out more, use the athletes. So Saban, circa three hundred sixty five days later comes out and says it this week. To me, it's confusing. I don't understand. We can see it. They should be able to see it. But the offense, Lester, it flows when we spread them out. And that's obvious. So maybe we'll practice that a little this week. Maybe we'll surprise Arkansas. But those are the things that you want to see a lot more of. And it starts with Randolph on the bench, put your best four, best three receivers out there and your best tight end, whether it's Law 2, Nyblack, or whatever, and then move forward with the offense. Because the two tight sets, they're not working. Yeah, Saban is such bullshit, man. Like, 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 seriously, bro. Like you, 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 like, like Chase said, I was like, you say all this stuff and do one thing. You say all this stuff and do one thing. We're not paid millions of dollars to analyze, you know, professionally your football team, but you know we're far from idiots. Like when you go double tight, like you said, if you don't have weapons like Bowers or, you know. Sure, maybe if you had an Irv Smith or OJ Howard or, you know, whoever else. But like you are literally handicapping your team on purpose. It's like in a boxing match. And you got one hand tied behind your back. You are handicapping your – like, Nick, you're the problem, dog. Bill O'Brien is the problem. You are doing this on purpose. If you want to change it, Change it to the dude that looks like a cold sore that's calling plays for this team. I mean, bro, there's there's not that's nothing else to discuss about it. It is on you. Be the change that you want to be. I don't I don't understand. Yeah, we want to spread the offense out more and more, yada yada. But you're running Kendall Randolph, who can't decide if you want to play him at you know office line or tight end. You know, Oots is you know hell of a guy had made a hell of a play. Finally, somebody ran the same route. Hell of a toss by Bryce, but you're that wasn't new. him. That was Latu. Latu, Latu. That's right. Yeah. Oops, yes. Uh, Don't ever get those confused again. Robbie Oops would have fallen over his feet at about the seven yard mark. Once he got about seven yards on the line of scrimmage, he would have fallen. His bow legged ass would have tripped over his own feet and like fallen over and like did a front flip. Right. But like, just, just don't handicap yourself. Like when you do that, go double tight, you're taking two, four, five star, four, three, four, four wide receivers off the field. You're making the job easier. Oh, so, you know, I don't know. Be the change you want to see, Nick. Like there's nothing else to decide. really like shit. And it doesn't really stop at Randolph. You know what I'm saying? It's uh. I think Deontay Lawson deserves a legit look. I understand that Henry T calls your defense and sets it, but this guy's got to get on the field. And I think Jalen Moody's really good too. So I, I think the weaker linebacker is Henry T. How many times do you see Henry T make a play at the line of scrimmage or a yard deep in the backfield? It's very rare. He'll do it, but it's not – it's not a common thing with him. Most of the time, he's going to make his tackles anywhere from three to seven yards downfield. And I don't know if it's a hesitation or he's trying to overthink his assignment, but Deontay Lawson plays downhill. Jalen Moody plays downhill. And, yeah, they're going to make mistakes sometimes, but, man, 
it's whenever they stick somebody, they they stick them at the line of scrimmage or a yard deep. There is no let me wrap him up at three yards and let him drag me two more for a five, six yard gain. Deontay Lawson's got to get on the field. And I understand that next year to be him and <clears throat> excuse me, probably Demuy Kennedy, maybe, uh, with Moody moving on as well. They're both seniors. But man, Henry T is looking like the third best inside linebacker on Alabama's team right now. And another thing, if you can watch, if you've watched every Alabama snap this year against Utah State and um, ULM, Jamarian Miller is easily the third best running back on the team. I love Roy Dell to death. Jamarian Miller has to get more touches. This dude is a freight train. He about put somebody in the damn hospital on Saturday while he's running with the ball. It ain't supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be the other way around. And he just decleated some dude, like jacked his neck all up. And I'm like, golly, this guy's a bowling ball with speed and agility. He's insanely good. So that's three examples right there of guys that I'm not going to sit here and say, well, in Randolph's case, yes, um, he, whoever is playing over him is, instantly better but with Deontay Lawson and Jamarian Miller it's time to get those guys some looks with the first teams also um but anyway uh you know not gonna bank on that or not gonna drag that out too too much um J-Law the optimism in this game of course they were good things man I mean you know defensively you finally get a turnover that's great <laughs> uh you, you block a punt you set a a new record for punt, re- punt return yards in a game. Ryan Branch takes one to the crib. A lot of good things um, outside of the offense. Are you? Does it lead to some optimism for you, or is it a case of the opponent was so bad, you know, wake me up next week or wake me up October 1st? How do you approach that? Yeah, take everything I saw with a grain of salt. I've watched one good coach call one good offensive coach call a game against this defense and I still think Quinn Ewers could have scored 30 on us probably would have lost by 10 on the road to Texas um no listen they they played fast they played physical um jump in on Henry T real fast dude the guy's the king of five to seven yard tackle five to seven yard tackles I mean dude he had a sack and I'm just like how many of those do I remember I don't remember any of those. So, you know, I just I, I think about our defense. Yeah, they played well. We still refuse to cover the the running back out of the backfield or the tight end across the formation. That if the tight end comes across the formation and it's a pass, he's going to the flat. Just go ahead and run out there, Henry Toto. He'll be there waiting for him to catch the ball. So I I look at the game. Um to me, offensively. You can't you can't go four out of five drives without scoring against those guys. You, I don't care if it's fourth and five and you're going for it. That matchup on matchup, there's nothing they should be able to do to stop you. Now, one of those is a Bryce interception, 50-50 bad pass, 50-50 probably should have called it. But the other, like you can't punt, you should not punt against those guys. And if you do, it should have been with Jalen Milrow, not Bryce Young. I thought Bryce, man, dude, ah, Bryce. Other than – unless he's just not comfortable in anything but the the the, the full spread, two-minute tempo, um, he's been pretty mid this year. And other than those big-time moments, 
And I'm not t- not trying to trash Bryce, but I think the deep. I'm saying that to say the deep ball will come. Bond, if he lets it ride, it's a tutty. Burton, yeah, Burton's slower than JMO. They should know that by now. You got to throw it shorter or leave some more air under it. That was a bad that sh- one. That should have been a touchdown. And people said he should have dove for it. I mean, you're not don't freaking don't not against Lobon Road. You should go score after that. So Bryce will come along. Um, I think the deep ball will come along, but I I do think that. You watch this game, everybody sees the same thing, and uh, you see what necessary changes need to be made to go win a game at a top-10 Arkansas team, A&M at home, Tennessee shortly after that. So you, you watch the game and you're a little frustrated because it's the same stuff you've seen be unsuccessful. It's the same stuff you've seen be successful, and we continue to do more of the unsuccessful. So take it, take the game with a grain of salt. Take this next one with a grain of salt. Um, maybe we show something against Vanderbilt that shows you, hey, man, we, this is this looks like we're going in the right direction. And not that we're bad. Listen, we're on a listen. I was messing with our buddy Brett earlier this week in our in a group chat. I said, hey, Brett, it could be worse. You could actually have a really good team with a crappy coordinator. So we're not on some other teams' level by any means, but the expectation is national title, the expectation is college football playoff. And the offense right now needs to get a little bit better because you're watching Georgia score 49 a game and give up three. So uh, clearly the best team in football, that's where Alabama wants to be. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that's uh, exactly what Gumbrunner said. What happened last week is that nothing would change. And you go back home and you do the same stuff, but because it's law mode, everything works to perfection. Well, it didn't, you know, until you get in the two minute. And uh, I'm going to talk about Bryce because I was going to say that for my last point. Um, but you brought it up. So I want to continue with that and get Lester's opinion too. Is my opinion, probably Bryce's worst start at Alabama. And I don't think it's close. I mean, two, two interceptions, one of them, he got picked by a bald white guy. I looked like Gage out there picked him off like, like it was nothing. And I know Gage's an athlete and probably could have made that play, but Gage's twin picking off Bryce Young. It's not something you'd expect to see. And then, yeah, the one to Ja'Cory, it was up and, it was up and behind. Uh, Ja'Cory, you know, if it's Slade Bolden, I expect him to drop it. But Ja'Cory, five-star receiver, big-body guy, I expect him to reel it in. But nevertheless, it's a pick no matter what. <clears throat> and uh, and not just that, you, you mentioned the, uh, the throw to Burton was terrible. And that's an easier one with him moving right to left, in my opinion, because you can gauge his de- – you know the route he's taken and uh, you know the depth and everything. To me, that's an easier throw. Uh, some people say it's harder, but to me it seems like it's easier. But Lester, Bryce's uh, body language to me is something that I noticed. You know, against Utah State, he's like doing the the celebrations where he's jumping up and down. He's very energetic and he's very confident in himself and his receivers – Two games later, I'm seeing the opposite, and I, and I told you to go back and watch the game. I don't know if you had time or not, but I went back and watched, and, like, you could tell that on a couple of plays, Bryce is just, like, he's got his shoulders slumped. He's looking at the sidelines, like, come on, man. Like, Bryce isn't going to pull an Aaron Rodgers and roll his eyes or anything like that, but you can tell for Bryce something was not right with him in this game, and even after the touchdown – it's almost like he's like jogging back to the sidelines. And he's like, "Damn, that was just a terrible play call. There was nothing there. Like, why are we doing this?" Lester, did you see some of that? 
A little bit. I mean, you can't blame him. You got to assume that Bryce is probably thinking a little bit on the lines that we are. Like, this should not be, like, this difficult. Like I said, we have the best athletes, but our scheme is doing nothing to help us out. That's a good way to put it right there. Perfect. You know, like, this should not be this hard. I should not be struggling, you know, to get guys open this much against Louisiana Monroe. Right, right. And you got to assume, you know, the wide receivers are probably a little pissed. You know, that's why they're not running, you know, full speed on the RPOs and, you know, all this other stuff going on, you know, cutting routes short and stuff. It's it because, you know, what was that first game? You know, dapping up, saving on the sidelines. Then, oh, now you get to watching other games and college football. I'm like, dang, these offenses are wide open. These offensive coordinators are creative and putting their guys in good spots to win. You know what I mean? So, you know, not saying there's like dissension or, you know, anything like that in the locker room, but sheesh, like it just kind of is what it is. Like this is what you have to deal with now. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, the Texas game. He's on the opposite sideline and he's watching. He's like, sheesh. Ewers has got guys wide open down the field. I know it's Xavier worthy, but still, I mean, these guys are wide open, nobody around them. And I'm sitting here having to throw it in a tight window every single time because we have NFL route combos. We have NFL types play actions. J-Law, anything you want to add on Bryce um, before I ask my last question to Lester? And, and the body language play that I'm mostly um, – reverting to is it was in a double tight situation and we had that slow play action where he turns his whole back to the defense for like two seconds then he rolls right i think it was a two-man route maybe somebody came off the line of scrimmage and there ended up being three guys in the route combo but two or three man route and two guys were in his face immediately and he just had to spike it at the feet of like law or somebody and then he just like looks to the sidelines and he's just standing there and you can just see on his face that like what in the hell was that? And so did you see a little bit of that? And how concerning is that to you? And not not necessarily that, but how concerning was Bryce's play in this game? Do you think this is something that can carry over? Or do you think this is something that'll that'll stay in the past? This feels so NFL from a play calling standpoint and the quarterback looking dissatisfied standpoint. It's like I know I'm a first-round talent. I, I know I'm Russell Wilson, and I'm playing with a bunch of scrubs in Denver. Like, I mean, that's that's kind of how it feels that Bryce is sitting here. Number one, he's had offensive line issues. He was the most sacked quarterback in the SEC last year. Now he comes into this year, and the scheme's not helping him at all. I noticed the first the first glimpse of him being a little just kind of whatever Saturday was when he had the rushing touchdown. He just kind of got up and jogged to the sideline like, I don't want to run against Slob Monroe, and these we're not doing anything to get get these guys open. So yeah, I, I could take off and run. It kind of looked like his his mentality was, dude, I can take off and run and beat these dudes any play, but we need to be able to throw the ball down the road. Like he's trying to prep for something bigger, and the offense isn't allowing him to. He's trying to make the offense better, and there's something holding them back. And then the play, dude, they're bringing gas. They're bringing gas. The, the, the play design is bad. I don't know if he checked into that or what. Maybe he didn't read it. Who knows? But it was just a bad play design overall. You got your Heisman quarterback, the potential to take a cheap shot against a team, a no-name team, and he just kind of looks over and is like, man, what the hell is this? So I, I, that's a little concerning to me. But I think Bryce Young has earned the – obviously he has, but he's he's earned the, the gravitas to walk into Saban's office and say, this is what we need to be doing. This is what I'm most comfortable with. This is what I think gives us the best chance to win. 
And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of aspects in the whole offense. Like Joe Cox probably frustrated that his tight end room, he has a five-star and Amari Knobleck, and we continue to run Kendall Randolph out there. Like his ass is on the line. He's supposed to have the best tight end unit that he can have, and we're not putting the best guys out there. And Holman Wiggins is probably frustrated because he takes a transfer in from Georgia, and the guy's slow as dirt. And so now you're, you haven't focused on the right guys in fall camp, so now you're playing catch-up. This offense is playing catch-up. It's going to be playing catch-up this week when Aaron Anderson gets back on the field, and maybe we can find a receiver rotation to take the top off the defense. But um, we'll see. It was frustrating for Bryce. He didn't look into it, which to me is weird for Bryce because he's just been that steadiness since he's been on campus. So we'll see. Maybe something changes. Maybe it doesn't. But uh, he definitely looked frustrated. I do think that's a tad concerning. Lester, final question before we uh, move off of the tide. Why doesn't Alabama play on the road like they do at home versus the crap teams? I understand that you can't go on the road. Well, I say, you know what? I don't. Because if you have an identity, then that's just your identity, right? So Alabama plays Louisiana Monroe at home, and they do this with every crap team. They're going to try to block a punt, and most of the time they're going to succeed. Alabama only blocks punts. What's the last block punt we had versus a – I guess A&M last year, but 80% of our block punts come against a group of five schools. And it seems like we try to flex our muscles. You know, we had the big return game. I guess that's not really flexing your muscle. That's just terrible punting by Lamo kicking line drives right at Kool-Aid every time. Um, but Lester, aggressive coverage, aggressive blitz calls, aggressive defense – why doesn't Alabama play like this in, in games on the road and also, you know, big games at home? Saban, being conservative, that's yeah. it. Like, 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 you can tell a difference. In, you can just look at it. You can just tell the difference in the play calling. Um, it's, just, it's just different because 99 of the times he knows – all right, we have the best team. Let's just not mess up. It's like that's his mindset. Instead of going out and executing normally how we should do, it's like the mindset is let's just not mess up. Let's come in here, you know, win the game and get the hell back home. Just being conservative and not operating as normal, it, and, and it sucks. I don't know, like. I feel like they should run punt block like damn near every time. Every time. Go after it. Go after it. Regardless of who you play, you have the best best athletes in the country. Go after it. Why, why wouldn't you? You should be gunning for it every single time. But once again, Saban wants to protect his defense, doesn't want to get too tired, even though they're going to give up 28 against a good team anyway. Like, like, dude, like at some point it just doesn't matter. You know, I don't know. I still think he's He's not quite adjusting. I don't know. I don't want to say he's not adjusting, but I know I, I get it. I think you're right. I think he hadn't adjusted in that aspect of his own mind and how he right. approaches the game. Because in 2008, that's a great job. You go back and watch the blackout game of Georgia, and I know the game was 31 to nothing at halftime, but what if we might have thrown it past eight yards down the field three times in the whole first half. Of course, you know, the deep one to Julio, which is the dagger, but I mean, we would dink and dunk and line up in three yards 
four yards, two yards. I mean, just run it, run it, run it. And so that mindset is exactly what you're talking about. You can go back and watch old Alabama games from 2008, 2009, uh, 10, 11, probably maybe even 2012. I mean, I think AJ threw 30 touchdowns and three picks, but we still didn't air it out that much. And I think it's the same thing that you see now. So I think you're you're right in the fact that he hasn't adapted to his style of play on the road. And I think that's on him. I mean, I understand you don't want to go on the road and, and have your first three possessions and turn it over twice. I'm not saying that, but if that's what you're – like Jalen was saying, if that's what your quarterback is comfortable with, and Nick Saban is sitting there at his press conference – Saying that, he's literally saying Bryce is comfortable in the two-minute. Bryce likes to spread everything out. We're more successful when we spread defenses out. So, Bill O'Brien, my last chance. You got one more chance, or I'm going to – I'm going to – what's the most I can do to be mean? I'm going to predict you to lose on the podcast in the Arkansas week. One more chance against Vanderbilt to show me that your offense has changed and that you're running new stuff. So, you know, until then, Lester, but yeah, I I agree with you, dude. I think that he hasn't adjusted in that way to where he, he hurts his own team on the road. And he can, he can say what he wants about competitors and stuff like that, but you know, that's not the way of the world anymore. It's different. We talked about that before. But, guys, moving over to the Plains, j Auburn gets smacked around at home. What's your favorite thing about it? Just give me your just favorite thing. It can be multiple if you want to. Favorite thing about Saturday, the 2.30 CBS game? Mm. Man, I tell you what, guys. Giving up 41 at home, at home, against a team that can't throw, they just ran it. I mean, I honestly, I think Brian Harson's tanking because they cannot suck like that. There's no way that you give up 41 at home. It's probably 40 degrees in Pennsylvania right now, and they came down here in the humidity of Jordan-Hare Stadium in the loudest place in college football, the best environment in football, and give up 41 at home? It's okay to give up 41 at home if you score 38. But not to come out like that. So that that's number one. Number two, a freshman running back does it to you too. Just up and down the field, up and down the field, up and down the field. Number three, Penn State was only a, a what a three point road favorite. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe I had a chance to make some money on this one, and I buy. I'm the worst. You can ask Fletcher. I'm the worst. I buy into Auburn every year. They can win this game, no doubt. Jordan Hare Stadium, voodoo, moodoo. I mean, I'm, I'm all in, and I'm just – I'm humble brag. I'm skyboxing for the game this week, last weekend, so we have it on the TV in there. And I just look up above my head, and I'm like, hey, man, this is 30 – this is 31 to 6, and it just keeps getting worse. And um, it, it actually worked out so well. Auburn was losing so bad that I could actually watch Alabama play. So Auburn's playing a big matchup at home against a, a big team. And I can actually, you know what? They're losing so bad. I can finally focus on Alabama play in Monroe. So, listen, they're bad. TJ Finley's bad. Robbie Ashford's bad. Zach Calzada's bad. Would be a great time for Auburn's um, 
a center that retired to come out of retirement and snap the ball back to TJ Finley. Maybe he'll have a few more seconds. But, dude, it, this is another – this is 2012. Unfortunately, Auburn already has two wins under its belt. They didn't get this one. Missouri this week, maybe. Is that this week? Is that a give me? I don't know. LSU the following week? Yeah, we were talking 5-0. and oh. You could see 2-3 and three right now. So, um, man, I, I don't like to dog them, but – Man, I really do. I think Harson. <laughs> I think I, Lester. Lester is Harson tanking. Is he? Is this payback? Because Tank had six first half carries. <laughs> what? What was that? What it was? Six carries in the first half. Yeah, six, six touches. I think he caught <clears throat> one or two passes. But then it's three of them on the first drive. Lester, like you gave this man the ball. Like okay, I understand if you don't want to use a workhorse, so to speak, and, and pull a carry on Johnson, Gus Malzahn, and give it to him 40 times a game, that's fine. If you have serviceable backups and maybe a passing game that's worth a damn. Got this, and honestly, I don't think Tank's great. I did some numbers this weekend against ranked defenses. He's averaged 61 yards a game for his career. I think he's gone over 100, like, two or three times maybe out of like 11 games. And so this fact, and, and I think he'll, he'll he, I think he gets drafted, you know, mid second round or higher just because running backs aren't that much of a pre- premium in the NFL anymore. But I, I think he's by far the best option that Auburn has on offense. And for this guy to get three carries on the first drive and three touches the rest of the half, Lester is absurd. So answer JL's question. Is he tanking? I I don't think he's tanking. I mean, I don't know Brian Harson personally, but let's think about know, this. Let's think about man, it. He has his pride, but still. Uh-huh. I, I what I think what I think Brian Harson is, I think that Brian Harson is showing Auburn who truly has the power. I I, I really do, because you got to think about it. You know, yeah, he's going to get fired at the end of the season or in the middle of the season or whatever. But at the end of the day, guess who's the coach? Guess who's recruiting? Guess who's leading that team on the sidelines? Is he recruiting? Is he recruiting? Hey, hey, that's that's his job. But oh, yeah, it's in the contract. Yeah. That's no matter how much money Yellowwood or any of the powers that B has down in Auburn, Brian (laughs) Harson is the man who's in control and he will embarrass the shit out of Auburn to spite them till the day they fire his behind. Because, you know, what would you do if you were accused of infidelity? They ran your team through the mud. Your they family. Ran your, I mean, they ran your name through your family, man, your and, wife, and they, your daughters, like, and they couldn't get rid of you. They can't, they couldn't, they couldn't get rid of you unless they paid you. Brian Harson is the man in power in Auburn right now. I don't care what anybody says. It's true. Because if it wasn't, his ass would have been out of there in March, February, when all that stuff was going on. And now all the cars is his hand. He's going to drag this thing below the Titanic as much as he can. And he's going to get his money, every dime of that $15 million. And he's going to happily walk his ass out of Auburn. So until then... He's the guy. He's the man in charge. So he is tanking. I and don't. Is, I mean, yeah, well, trying to tank the program, I guess you could sure. say, right? Sure. Because, I mean, guys, 
if you're listening to this, let's let's break this down. Okay. And you might be listening to this thinking, ha ha, they're funny. No, I thought that too. And my dad said this for months. I'm being dead ass serious. Dude, yes. Okay. So in February, they try to come up with a cheating scandal with an employee so they don't have to pay his buyout. They can fire him with calls. That's the whole reason that was brought up. Like if this was like an outside part, J Law, is this right? If this was like a, just a stranger down the street, can you fire somebody with calls? But like since it was an Auburn employee, is that what the grounds are for that? Yeah, essentially, he pulled up Petrino, he hired somebody, and then had a relationship with them. Yeah. So so they they come up with this Clezzy Crochet or whoever her name is, somebody that he brought from Boise, and they try to come up with a cheating scandal between him and her on his wife. Drag his wife through the mud, drag his daughters, his whole family through the mud, drag his name through the mud. This is national news for two weeks. Yes. It's not like this is in the state of Alabama, you know, Lee County. This was national news, ESPN. And is it possible that it pissed him off? And he's like, you're not getting rid of me this easy. And so he threatens, he says, look, I've got evidence it's not true. I will take you to court, and I will get way more than that buyout money that I'm owed. I will drag this out. I will take you all to court, whatever. So they're like, oh, okay, the powers that be bitched out, and they keep him on. They try to, you know, Harson's our man. He's the man for the job. And all the fans are like, hell yeah, if he can overcome that, he's a true Auburn man, and he really wants to be here. He's He would die for this football program. He would die for this team. And little do we know, Harson's like, hmm, okay, I'm owed $15 million. I'm going to recruit like ass, set them back a whole other class, which he already did. What did he, what he finish last year? 20th in recruiting, which in the SEC might as well be 100th. Um, he's 62nd right now in recruiting. Well, they got that player that's ranked like 1,100, so he might be like 65th. They probably brought him down, actually. Um, and so he's like, I'm going to recruit like crap and I'm going to shoot for a five and seven, six and six record and make them fire me mid season and in the season with some, you know, you got half a Boise state staff, half former Auburn players like Zach Etheridge and Cadillac, you know, they're not going to get along. They probably don't anyway. Um, you got a bunch of West coast guys and then a bunch of southerners you know that's that's always a recipe for disaster so Harson's is like they'll fire me mid-season probably on the bye week will be i don't know three and three two and four something like that and uh and it'll be just utter chaos and they'll have to pay me my money they'll be ranked 60th in recruiting and that'll show them if you really think about it j-law that's possible it's really possible there's just no way that you watched Saturday and said, and you really thought that they tried. I'm emotionless. No, He's emotionless. They had yeah, him. I'm not saying the players. I'm saying him like that. He, he put the players in a position where they could not win. Obviously looking at a 41 to 12. <laughs> Sorry. I just like, but they, they got 415 yards at home, 296 through the air, because and that's a lot of because uh, they were down by 30 the whole second half. 
Um, only 119 on the ground. It is very possible that they literally – that he is just saying, you know what, screw it on all fronts, recruiting, coaching. They also have to pay staff buyouts. So his buddy Keesaw and all those guys, when they go back over to Arizona State or wherever they end up, my hope is Harson doesn't go anywhere and forces Auburn to pay him this $15 million over the next four years because when you go somewhere else, whatever they Bingo. pay you, get subtracted off of it because – it's like Bill Alabama's paying some of Bill O'Brien's Texans money right now. But my hope is that they force them to bleed out all of that cash. And uh, you know what? They, they might hire somebody good after this, but this is like a – I think this is a four- to five-year type of setback from what Brian Harson is to me. I, unless I watched it, I rewatched it, to me how he is purposefully <laughs> – He's pray, he is purposely taking this season 41 to 12. <laughs> Dude, you kicked two field goals in the first half. Oh, man. He was leading the game. It was three to nothing. But yeah, it's, it's very possible. And, um, I don't care if he goes to Arizona State or not, but yeah, you know, recruiting in, in it, a, a place like Auburn, their problem is they want to be Alabama and Georgia and they're never going to be. They've got the little brother syndrome. We've covered this. Um, you can argue with the wall if you want to. That's fine. But explain if, it, if you want, if you want to argue that, explain to me why your, why your expectations are so high for your football program when you've averaged like eight wins a year for the entirety of your existence. Um, so, you know, the, sure they're top 15, top 20 in the whole country, but they're, they're never going to sniff that top five range in all time, you know, winning his programs or just, you know, tradition, whatever you want to say, but they think that they are. And that's because of what Gus Malzahn did. Gus Malzahn had the Auburn voodoo. It left with him. And I said that last year. I said that beginning of last year. I said that voodoo was gone. It all but confirmed it, the Mississippi State game. They were up 28 to three. Bo breaks his leg, and State comes back and beats them. Um, and I know Bama struggled over there, but obviously that wasn't Auburn voodoo. That was Bill O'Brien on the road. Um, so I don't think Auburn did anything special. I think Bill O'Brien's just that bad on the road. It's, it's proven now. Um but Gus Malzahn had an offense that gave Nick Saban fits. He wasn't a top-five recruiter, but he was going to get Auburn in the 8 to 12 range annually, which, you know, it's good enough. And, you know, if he got the right quarterback, your Nick Marshalls, Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, as long as he didn't end up with a Sean White, you know, he, he, could, he could run that offense and he could manage it. And uh, beat Alabama at home in 2017 and 2019. It had been seven years, seven years, damn near a decade since Bama won in Auburn until, you know, before last year. And you fire that guy. You got rid of him. He's not good enough. He's winning eight, nine games a year. He's won an SEC championship game, been to a national championship, and been to another SEC championship. He's not good enough. We're Auburn. We deserve to be Alabama and Georgia. You're never going to be. And so you fire Gus Miles on. And so even if you do bring in a guy like Hugh Freeze, if he doesn't win 10 games year one, they're going to be pissed. And he's not going to because of the recruiting setback that Harson's doing. Gus's last class, no bueno. Um, I will give you that. And then Harson came in, did nothing. Harson this year, doing nothing. That's at least two 
And so your older guys starting next year and the year after are going to be crap. So maybe you can go in the portal and load up there. You know, it is possible, but Auburn's just not a place where big name portal guys go. But you, you, know, you go play got- for Ole Miss. You look at Zach Evans and Jackson Dart. Or, I mean, you know, Zach Evans for Ole Miss and then the USC guys, Alabama, Georgia, that's where the big dogs transfer to. Auburn gets Donovan Kaufman from Vanderbilt. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I was just going to say, and you're just – you're really close to Texas and Oklahoma jumping into the league. And if you're not Alabama, Georgia, I think Florida, LSU, you're – maybe Tennessee now with Hypel. He'll go somewhere else, probably NFL – if, if you're not one of those four teams, you're not – you you go down the list. So, Auburn might go from the fifth best program in the SEC to the seventh or eighth best program in the SEC. And is that even attractive to Hugh Freeze? I mean, it might be to Hugh because he bought a bunch of hookers for a bunch of kids to get them to go to school at Ole Miss, maybe. Obviously, a lot of things are attractive to Hugh Freeze. So, maybe we'll see. But Auburn, and like when Texas and Oklahoma jump in this league, you you drop in the standings. Alabama, Georgia, they stay where they are. Um, you become a worse job compared to your peers. So, I I don't know, man. It's, it's bad. It's fun for us. But for, for Auburn, you, you literally ran away the only coach that helped you win a natty, took you to another one, took you to an SEC title, and – you you fired him for a guy who has done nothing but keep what Chris Peterson was doing, but a little bit worse at Boise. And for the history of your program, outside of one year with Suge Jordan in 1952, you've done nothing. And Gus Malzahn, dude, Gus Malzahn, he was a good coach. Maybe his time ran out, I get it. But to have the expectation that you are Kirby, to have the expectation that you're that you're that you can pull a Nick Saban like guy, it's just that's unrealistic. Yeah, no. and, uh, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze would be the only guy. Let's go. Hugh, Hugh Freeze would be the only guy, in my opinion, that would take that job because it would be an upgrade from where he's at now. I don't think it's a major upgrade, but guys like Urban Meyer, no chance. Go ahead, Lester. I think the thing is though, the since since I've known y'all, the when we talk about Auburn, I've always said Auburn needs to find someone who is not connected with Auburn, who doesn't know how to find Auburn on the map. They did it. But they and they damn they did it. I truly believe, like with the Gus Malzahn situation and with Harson, if the powers that be just didn't meddle so damn much, just let the people run the program, run the program. I I, I truly believe that Malzahn would probably still be really successful at Auburn. Sure, I believe that if he left. And Harson's the coach. If he is just left alone and not being, you know, connived behind his back, he will be fine. They what the during Malzahn's tenure, they had what Kevin Steele basically being a spy to Gus Malzahn's program. Like you can't run a successful program when you have people actively rooting against you, actively having the guy who they want to replace you, like connive behind your back and with Harson, you know coming up with all the stuff about you know, the whole scandal situation like that is just not a a place where anybody could be successful I don't care if you put Nick Saban in Auburn it is not going to happen success will not be there as long as you have people behind the scenes like that who think stuff like that is okay it's not you know what I mean yeah like, it, but isn't that why know, we love the powers that be 
Sure, yeah. And you know what? They won't he you know why they won't he freeze because he'll cheat. They'll know it. Well, he's I mean, he's as dirty. He's as dirty as and as in the dirt as any coach in college football. And Auburn is okay with it. If you cheat but you win, it's okay. And Hugh Freeze is totally okay with cheating. So oh, yeah. you know that's why they're okay with getting a scumbag like Urban Meyer because he'll cheat, <laughs> he'll do the dirt, he'll do whatever to win. You know, will they get him on probation? Probably not because they'll skirt away like they've skirted away with everything else. But you know, it's going to be a scandal. You know, written program. So, you know, if they would just leave people the hell alone, you know, but you know, whatever. And that's why we we love the powers that be because you know that's the reason Kirby's not there because Kirby went and interviewed and he was he asked him if he was going to be able to do run it the way he wants to. They told him no. Uh, same yep. with Billy Napier said there was a lot of dysfunction. Brent Venable said there was a lot of dysfunction within the program. That's why he didn't yep. uh, take the job. So. Yeah, uh, Bill Clark, you know, there's a rumor that they 100% offered him the job from UAB. Uh, he, he said the same thing. When you, when you, when you turn down Auburn to stay at UAB, you, you might want to take a look in the mirror if you're the powers that be. But that's how they've always been, and that's that's why we love them. Um, but, yeah, Urban Meyer, he's already – he had his roster in place. He was a top recruiter, and Saban gave his ass a damn heart attack. And that was 14 years ago, and he was 14 years younger. Saban about killed him. So I think Urban's learned his lesson whenever – and now you've got two Sabans, uh, and you're sandwiched in between both of them. you got one Saban to the east and one little Saban to the west. So uh, it, you've, you've, got, uh, you've got big problems recruiting-wise because it's, it's real easy to win at Auburn. All you have to do is, is beat out Nick Saban for every uh, five-star in-state, make sure Saban doesn't get any – five-star talent in state um finish number one in recruiting and uh beats alabama and georgia every single year you know sometimes both on the road all while having about maybe the sixth or seventh best stadium in the sec and a football only facility that's finally getting off the ground but they're cutting stuff when they like the recording studios the aviation studio they're having to have some stuff that's not going to be included because they can't afford it. So, yeah, you got a mid facilities, a below average stadium, and uh, all you got to do is just finish number one recruiting and, and win every game. Very simple. But, um, yeah, Harson's dead man walking. The only advice I have for you, your offensive line sucks. So when your offensive line sucks, you can't have a statue at quarterback. TJ Finley's got to go. I don't care if you think he knows the offense or not. You got to live and die with Robbie Ashford. And yeah, he's going to make stupid ass plays. Like, you know, they were on like the 18 or 20 or something like that uh, going in. And Penn State brought three guys and spied him with two, dropped eight. You can't throw that football. There's nowhere to throw down there. It's too tight. And uh, he threw it right to a linebacker. Um, down there in the red area. So, but he did lead a touchdown drive. You know, he threw the ball well. He can, he can run, do some good things. But that's the only advice I got for you. You gotta have to live or die with Robbie Ashford. Um, but anyway, Lester, did you did you take some time to to find your bet of the week? It's the last thing we're gonna do here before we wrap it up. Do you have a bet of the week for us, or do you need to to let J Law go first while you keep looking? 
don't know. I <laughs> like we were talking earlier that Bama line. Um, I don't think the cover. That's been my bet of the week. I don't see it. Is it 40 and a half right now? Because this line came out at 29. Is that right? Yeah, it came out, came out at 29 and shot up in a matter of a few days, which That's is ridiculous. Insane. 11 insane. points is ridiculous. So you're you're riding with the doors. Yes. Plus yes. 40. I think it's pretty safe. I think you're right. Yeah. Because I mean, I think they're gonna score, and I just don't have faith in our offense. Um, now, I mean, even if you think about last week, we had a couple non-offensive touchdowns. I mean, that accounted for what? 14, 24, 21 points. So, you know, it's not like the offense was just on fire last week. And I think it may be another similar situation this week. If they do cover, it's going to be because of special teams and defensive touchdowns. Yeah, defense, defensive play overall. I think Vandy's ran and thrown for over 850 yards apiece. So their offense is white hot right now. They run two quarterbacks and do a lot of different things, a lot of eye candy um, that make you have to play disciplined football on defense. <clears throat> so Alabama's going to have to do that. Um, my bet of the week, I'm going Tennessee minus 11 at the Swamp. Uh, even though it's at Ooh. the Swamp, Florida put all their eggs into the Utah basket, I guess. Because ever since then, Anthony Richardson, I think he's a solid 38% throwing. Um, doesn't even have a touchdown pass this year, I don't believe. He's done four interceptions escaped with the win against <clears throat> excuse me against South Florida last week uh, so I look for Tennessee to go into the swamp and embarrass I know the atmosphere will be fine or whatever but Tennessee's defense is playing really well too that's a scary football team I see that game being 38-21 at best for 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 Florida Jayla what you got yeah I like that one I think Tennessee wins for sure uh, I'm gonna go off radar I like Wisconsin not to win, but Ohio State at home. This is always one of these games that it feels like Ohio State might struggle with. The line's minus 18 and a half. So I think that you should take Wisconsin. Even though they're on the road, take it. I was looking at the Clemson-Wake Forest line. Clemson a seven-point favorite on the road. Chase talked me out of it. He said Wake Forest may not be able to score. I was like, ah, yeah, you might be right. But watching how Clemson struggled with Georgia Tech and then watching what Ole Miss just went out there. Lane Kiffin in his press conference comes out and says, I could have beat him by a lot more, but I've been on the hot seat before, so I didn't throw it. What? So, uh, I don't know. The Wake Forest one, I just think y'all should look at it. I'm not telling you which way to go, but I do like Wisconsin plus 18 and a half. I, I think they can, uh, they can definitely jump on that. Even in the blackout at the horseshoe. Didn't even know that. Usually that doesn't turn out well for the. <laughs> That's so right? clean, dude. Like, are y'all in favor? One, one last point here. Are y'all in favor of uniform change? Because, yes. you know, you talk about Auburn with the orange jerseys. Ohio State's doing the blackout. Georgia does the blackout. You know, Bama has similar colors to those guys. Would y'all be okay with doing something like that? A blackout? No, absolutely not. Like, what change are you proposing? Because a blackout, I know. I mean, you don't have to go black pants, but, like, okay, in the scrimmages and the A-Day games, like the black jerseys that the quarterbacks wear, just do that. The white numbers maybe outlined in red with, like, the white Nike swoosh, a white script A. You know, you don't have to change the helmets or the pants, just the jerseys. I think I think that would look good. I think I think a white helmet would be dope. I think a white helmet on the road is something that seriously needs to be done, but no numbers. Yeah. Got to be a script day, and not a huge one, 
just like the size of what the numbers are combined, just make that a script A with, you know, your regular stripes down the middle. I think that looked great with white face mask. Deal. Deal. Yeah, I'm okay with white helmets at home or on the road. I don't know about changing the jersey. And it feels dicey. I don't know. Paul Bryant Jr. might pull his money. I mean, he ain't got to do it against Georgia. You can do it against Austin, yeah, why can't Auburn? P. Why can't Auburn do the orange face mask on a game that they can win? Dude. Like it's so it's okay. It's okay to like you should be doing fun stuff on games where you're trying to get the attendance to go up. Yeah. Like, don't. I told dad, I told dad, I said I would have given anything for them to wear those orange jerseys in that Penn State game. Man, there would have been some pissed off folks. And that's all they would have blamed it on. You know, that would have taken all the blame, which might have been a good thing. And it takes some pressure off of Harson. Hey, if we hadn't won the orange jersey, we would have won. But for, for Penn State to post their their postgame graphic and it said instead of PSU, PSECU. I mean, did they have they were Penn State fans took over the stadium chanting SEC at the end of the game? That's embarrassing. In Auburn. John Clifford here. was 42 out of 51 against Auburn in two games. Auburn ran for 3.3 yards per carry. So if you do that three times, it's not a first down. Take away Asher's big runs, though. I mean, like just do oh, it's way backs. worse. Yeah. Way worse. Because even Finley had some good runs, but uh yeah, bad OL. Get Finley out of there. Statue, that's a recipe for disaster. You got to go with a, an athletic quarterback that has a chance to make some plays with his feet whenever the pocket collapses, which is pretty damn quick. That's but, uh, how guys, you're going to know they're tanking. If TJ, yeah. <laughs> if TJ continues to play, they're mailing it in. Yeah, and, and that's what we talked about. That's what started this whole thing because it's like we've seen Zach Calzada. Nobody's ever said that he was a first-round quarterback. He's got to be better than what Auburn's putting on the field. That's when I started this all, you know, it started making sense to me. Is like, hey, maybe Calzada is actually good, but Harson's not playing him on purpose. But anyway, y'all got anything else before we get out of here? Score Did predictions for Vandy. Let's give me a score prediction for Vandy. Uh, 21 to 20. Is that how you're 40, thinking? 45, 45, 20. Okay. I'm going to go 56, 17. Still, uh, not, it's still okay. not a cover, is it? Damn, I'll change. No. I'll change it up. I'll go. I'm gonna go sixty-two, ten. Okay, so J Lo's got to cover. You know, Dallas. Right. Yeah, forty is a lot, bro. Might have to throw some coin on Vandy. That's just a good point. Yeah, let me talk to my guy. All right. Uh, appreciate <laughs> y'all. Hey, uh, one more thing though. Did y'all see where the Penn State band stayed, stayed and played and stand? So, I mean, the Auburn band. So. The Penn State fans wouldn't quote unquote take over the stadium. That is the saddest thing. I think I saw that like Sunday morning. That was the saddest thing I saw. Poor guys. Yeah, they're the only ones in orange left in the stadium. That place cleared out quick. Wait, um, over under over under 70,000 in Jordan here this week. Under 11 o'clock kick. 68. Under. And I'm hey, gonna, the, the few that are going to be there, they're going to fight in the stands. <laughs> no, isn't that crazy? Don't y'all just love waking up Sunday morning? First Instagram search, hashtag WEA or oh, yeah. War Eagle, anyways. And then you get on and Auburn fans sharing a post about how Penn State said that they're really good fans and they didn't have a problem. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're dead. Yeah, you don't even have a chance to fight in the stands. You're down by 30 at half. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's the best. No doubt. All right. Um, yeah, Vandy this week, Auburn, Missouri, favored by seven. Not sure about that one. That one might 
I think it's a pick them right now. Can't, but yeah, I'm gonna say 70, 74,000 in attendance, but I'm gonna say they announced it as like 83. I'm gonna say they, they up it by about 10 grand, but, uh, we appreciate everybody listening in to us today, tonight, whenever. Um, episode 70 of the Gunburners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We'll talk to you guys next week.